You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello, and you are listening to Orange County's longest running business talk show. And yes, I am your host, Rick Franzi. I never get tired of that intro music. I've been listening to it for years. And boy, do we have a good show planned for you. Why do you ask? Because Susie Engwald is our guest, and she's the president, CEO, and founder of Health Tech Strategies, LLC. Susie, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I, I get really geeked out about this topic, so I'm thrilled to have people want to listen to it. Of course. Let's get into it. Let's the entrepreneurial journey. Let's go back in time and talk about the original motivation, inspiration for you to start your business. Sure. Well, you know, I've been in healthcare for almost two decades, and um, I think we can all agree if, if any of us has to have touched healthcare, we know that it's broken. There are so many places that things need to be fixed and repaired. And I just kept seeing it time and time again. So about seven years ago, I made my jump into the healthcare innovation space and never looked back. I love the space. I love helping entrepreneurs get new things to market. But on top of that, I really love bringing new things to market that can help patients, help providers, and really help give better care to everybody. There are just so few people who have access to great care and we all deserve it. So that's why I'm in this. That's why I do it. That's why I get up every day and get excited about it. Volunteer a lot of time too. Okay, Sherry. So I'm going to go a little off of what we've talked about in our planning sessions. Maybe you could, for me and the audience, tell us what you mean by healthcare innovation. Sure. It's really um, trying to understand like the gaps that are in healthcare. So everything from, let's say you go to get a CT scan because you have a head injury. A radiologist might have 20 minutes to look at that CT scan. That's the maximum amount of time. And there's thousands of images. So how do we take technology like AI? I know we're going to maybe touch on that a little bit later, but how do we take technology that can read those a lot faster and really help us do things like clinical decision support? So it's really about how do we take the things that, that have gaps in healthcare and make them better, whether that's through new products or new process, but that's really what innovation is all about, is creating something to solve a real problem. Does that always indicate technology being the innovation or does innovation it doesn't have through? to be i mean there's a lot of innovation and process improvement i mean we've how many times have you gone to the waiting room at your <laughs> at your uh at your doctor's office and you're sitting there for two hours and you're like there's got to be a better way right <laughs> so anytime you're thinking there's got to be a better way that's really it can be anything it can be a certain process change it could be tech, it could be pharmaceutical. There's a lot of different ways that you can innovate in healthcare. And we want all of them. We want all those good ideas. We want new things to come to market to make it better for everybody. From your experience, can innovation be something as simple as training people differently to do their job? Oh, heck yes. Yes. And, and maybe you involve some tech with it too. I, I know I've done a lot of work in the autism space, for example. And, um, you know, I was naive enough to think that everybody who works in healthcare understands autism and knows how to work with kids that have autism. Mm. And one of the things I learned through a lot of research in that space is that a lot of folks are, they're really trained on what they do. So I am a nurse and I give care to kids with cancer. I work on an oncology unit. They may have never dealt with a child with autism before. And what happens is kids that with autism get admitted into the hospital system and they have no idea. There's no training on how to handle these kids. They get labeled as problem children, everything else. So there's better ways. And some of that's through training. You can even integrate a technology component where maybe it says on the kid's chart, you know, hey, this child has autism. Mom and dad says these are the three best things you can do for him. So there's a lot of ways that we can make those little things. I think incremental innovation in this space 
is as important as some of those big major changes too. Okay, so let's get back to what, thank you. Let's get back to what we sort of talked about talking about, which was, I'm always fascinated when I have founders on the show about any pivots that might've happened in the early stages of your business model. Have you had some? And if so, can you kind of describe that to us? I'd, I'd say I probably pivot every day on different things. Um, but, you know, I, I think starting this company was my major pivot mm -hmm. because, you know, um, with larger organizations, sometimes it just gets too hard to weed through a lot of the red tape to really get down and do what needs to be done. Um, so for me, um, I think the biggest pivot since starting this is understanding that I need help like everybody else, like an entrepreneur, like everyone else. So I really started to originally this was going to be a mission of my own. But what I really started to do is to bring together more folks that are experts in this field so that we can help startups or corporate innovation programs or even investors with anything that they might need so that we can really bring in the right people at the right time. And this is a relatively new venture. Yes. Yes. How very long, new. How long have you stood up health tech? Um, since I actually filed my LLC paperwork, it's probably been about three or four months. Um, so it is very, very new. Um, I left a six year position at an early stage incubator about a year and a half ago. And since then, I keep having people ask me over and over again, will you consult? So finally, I said, you know what, let's do it. Um, so I'm really excited about it. I, I think the future is is going to look bright and, and I just can't wait to keep moving. So what was the reaction of your network when people heard you were giving up your day job to be? An yeah, entrepreneur? well, it's been interesting. So I, I still have one foot in the door at my day job. I'm about 60% there. But um, but to come January one, that day job is is go is gone. I, I love that place. I love the people that I work with. But most everybody's been pretty happy about it. I've had a lot of folks coming out of the woodwork and asking for help on different things. Um, I do work with a lot of startups who usually don't have a lot of money. So that makes it hard because they can give me equity all they want, but it doesn't pay my electric bill. Um, but um, I think it's been really positive. And especially the nice thing is, I think the one thing I didn't expect was to have so many other people that work in this industry sort of rally around it and say, hey, let's work together. I want to partner with you. I want to work with you. That was one thing I just wasn't anticipating, but it's been really great. Are those peer entrepreneurs or are they service companies? That's so, value? So okay. Some entrepreneurs, some service companies. Um, I've got a couple of really great colleagues down here in Orange County that, um, that kind of came out of the woodwork that I'm working with quite a lot. Um, but really the goal is to just create this ecosystem where we can help any stage entrepreneur or any stage company. Um, mm -hmm. If a company has an innovation program and they don't know what to do next with it, we want to be able to help them. So two things. Um, one, it's great to be able to have a shared work experience where you're still doing your day job, but you're getting your legs under you to get your business going because yes. it, it, it does take a while to get it set up and up and running. So that's a real advantage. That's a best practice, ladies and gentlemen. If, you, yeah. if, you're, if you're in the corporate world right now thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, see if you can work out some type of a of an exit that works for you and the company. So, But on the second part, more importantly, what exactly? Tell me about health tech strategies. Who do you help? What do you do for them? And why are they interested in working with you and your team? So I think there's a few different things. So there's three groups that we really work with. So one is corporate innovation. And that's whether a hospital or a health system or a larger you know, company wants to set up a whole innovation program or they just want some one-off type of events like hackathons or things like that. 
Um, the second group is startups, and that's really, you know, involves advisory, mentoring, helping them find financing if they want. Um, a lot of them now need what, what are called fractional team members. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, I need a CFO, but I can't afford one full time. Can you help me find somebody? Um, and then really kind of engaging them with the healthcare experts that have that have the skills to take them to that sort of next milestone. And then the last bucket's really working with VCs, venture studios, angel investors, other folks like that. And most of that is really just saying, hey, I know that your portfolio is looking for something like this company. I happen to have one. Let me see if there's a match here. So helping them to do that and to solve challenges that they might be interested in solving if they've got a problem that comes forward, helping to source companies that are, that are working to solve that problem. So I build mastermind groups, peer groups, cohorts of middle market CEOs, business owners. I have a group that's technology and healthcare. I put the two of them together because there's a lot of overlap and kind of business approach. Um, do you do you see middle market companies, you know, the 10 to $100 million? Oh, yeah. Is that okay? Yeah, we'll work with anybody, small or large. And, and that was one of the things I really wanted to do with health tech, strategy, health tech strategies was have the flexibility and the pricing to make it work for anybody. Um, that was one of the real gaps that I've seen in the industry is a lot of folks are really set up to help larger companies, but there's not a lot that are set up to help the smaller guys. And, you know, for me, I think, you know, you'd ask me why people would come to us. And I think a lot of it is that this industry is unlike any other industry. There are so many logistics and things like finding the right FDA pathway, having the right go to market strategy, finding product market fit is huge. And too many entrepreneurs start with that way, way, way too late. You know, they've got their product and now they're like, now we're going to go get product market fit. Yeah, you should have probably done that a long time ago. <laughs> um, so and even things like that, that seem to not be a big deal, but healthcare buying cycle times can take anywhere from 18 to uh, 18 months, maybe as little as 12 months. But they're long buying cycle times. Healthcare moves slowly, and you know one of the one of the things that I always ask people that have new technology, I'm like, how does that this fit into provider workflow? So just having knowledge of this space and why things do and don't get adopted, I think, are one of the reasons that people will come to us. Outside looking in, heavily regulated industries, it's kind of hard for innovation because it, of is. it, it, it you know, whether it's banking or financial management or the healthcare industry, it just seems like there's a real need to just kind of push the innovation because the inertia of not changing is probably greater than the opportunity to change in some companies, I would think. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, but it is hard. I mean, it is not for the weak of heart, that's for sure. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a lot of work and a lot of perseverance. And what I've really seen is the people that start companies because they have a real genuine like invested interest in it are the ones that go the furthest. The ones that are like, oh, this seems like a good idea and I can probably make some money are the first to kind of fall off the pathway. So one of the first things I do when I agree to work with any company is find out why are you doing what you're doing? Do you have passion for it? Does it matter to you? Because if it doesn't, you're probably not going to put in the same effort I'm putting in for you. Well, Orange County is a hotbed for medical device technology and other uh, innovations in the healthcare space. So you you have a fertile territory in Orange Absolutely. County. Where where else are you or are you focused solely in Orange County? No, we focus all over the U.S. Um, I actually uh, mentor and lead a chapter of Founder Institute Health Tech, and we actually take companies from all over the world. So um, and I've got plenty of people. I don't do anything really in the EU. I work with companies from the EU, but I'll pass them along to other colleagues that know all the regulatory practices and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we'll work with healthcare, with anybody in healthcare that's got a good solution that they want to bring forward. A lot of companies wanting to come to the United States from other countries, and then a lot from just this local ecosystem and, and broad, more broad in the U.S. 
The U.S. is a big market. It's attractive to those companies outside the U.S. So that's great. I wonder if you could share your experience in healthcare. If there are any kind of secrets to success in the industry, best practices that you've seen, could you share that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think you know some of it boils down to really simple things. And if you if you talk to a certain company, there's so much innovation theater out there. There's people who says say that they're innovative, but maybe you ask them, what does that mean to you? How does it manifest itself every day in your company or in your business? And they can't articulate it. So it's not it's one thing to say I have the value of innovation, but it's another to actually walk the talk. And sometimes innovation to them means, hey, I just want to get products to market so I get a new lines of revenue. And sometimes it means I want a whole culture change. I want to create a community of problem solvers right here in my hospital or in my company. And so I think one of the best practices from my perspective is if you're going to do any type of corporate innovation is really talking to uh, the C-suite first and understanding how do you want innovation? What's your strategy look like? Do you have a strategy? And how do you want to be seen? How do you want this to translate down to everybody within your organization? And if they can't answer that, then it's really my job to help them figure out what that looks like because there's so many pathways you can go. And even the term innovation means something different to everybody. Some people think of it only as commercialization. So, what it means to me, <clears throat> the image it can give me on the on the positive side is a brighter future and an exciting place to work. Yeah. And on the downside is it feels like it's a treadmill. Like <laughs> it can be. You, you really can't stop innovating. It's not like you innovate now. Oh, we're done. We did it. Yeah, it is not a one and done thing. It is something you've got to dedicate yourself to, dedicate your company to if you want to do it. If you're a startup, dedicate yourself to. Um, and you know that's the other thing I see with startups too is they don't always understand the problem they're trying to solve. I, I wish I had a dollar for every for every startup that came to me and I said, okay, this looks great, but what problem are you solving? Well, we think it's going to help with this. We think it's going to help. And, and so really like going back to basics. So I think, you know, number one, you can never stop. But then number two, it's really understanding what you want out of this. What problem are you solving? Why do you want to do innovation? I just think it's really those things that seem really obvious that people kind of forget about. Over the years, we've had a number of entrepreneurs in the healthcare space that are starting companies or have early stage companies. Many of them are doctors or oh, yeah. have training in the medical profession. And that's an, uh, I would imagine that's an interesting clientele to work with professional doctors. Who you know, it is really interesting. And the one of the challenges um, with, with docs sometimes, and not all the time, I've worked with some fantastic physician innovators. Um, one of the things that I really tend to see them do is they feel like, look, I've treated this condition for 20 years. I'm an expert. I don't have to talk to my customers. I don't have to talk <laughs> to the buyer who's not always the same person. Right. Um, but I mean, this is, again, is really you know, you've got to have that flexibility. They get way too tied to their own idea and they say, I'm an expert. I don't need to do this. And then they wonder why, why their, you know, idea fails. Mm -hmm. And I learned that early on. And when I came into the innovation space, I met with a doc who was, had a lot of clout, really high powered doc. And, you know, he was a little intimidating and he said, this is a great idea. I don't care what anybody says. It's a great idea. And I'm like, well, if you're not going to go ask anybody, I'm going to go ask for you. And I asked a whole bunch of people and they all said, eh, we don't really care about it. So, I had to go back and deliver that message to which he was not happy to hear that he was a little ugly. <laughs> yeah, that, you're a brave soul, Susie. Yes, yes, but you know, sometimes you have to have those hard conversations and you've got to, you've got to learn through them. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. so important. Thank you. I, I wonder, 
In addition to that great advice, any business advice that you've either been given that has been valuable for you or that you like to give to others that would be worth sharing on the show today? I think kind of goes back to what I was just talking about, about really not being too tied to your own ideas. And even if you work in this space and it wasn't your idea to begin with, I think you've got to have that flexibility and you've got to have an open mind. Um, I remember going with an engineer that was working on someone else's idea to a session with a bunch of healthcare people who were evaluating the product. And we we spent four hours talking to this group of people. They gave us some really good feedback and they gave us some really negative feedback. And that's great. We want that negative feedback. These are things we can go back and fix. But I remember going back into the office with this, with this engineer and walking through the doors and someone said, how'd it go? It's perfect. We don't need to make any changes. It's perfect. We're great. And I'm like, were you in the same room as me? Like what's going on right now? So I think a lot of times entrepreneurs, especially, but even sometimes the engineers working with them will just get too tied to what they're doing and forget about what their customer wants. And sometimes that, that results in them spending millions of dollars in over-engineering things. So you've always got to just be agile and smart and be flexible. And I think that's great. Well, that's why it's great for early stage entrepreneurs to have people like you in their life or outside money that they have to account for how they're spending yes. it. It's just it, sometimes you want to be on your own, but my sense is you're well served as an early stage entrepreneur by putting an ecosystem around you of people who care about you, but yep. will tell you the truth. Yeah. And you have to have that. And sometimes it's hard and it's brutal. And I'm not good at delivering bad news. It's taken me a long time to figure out a nice way to do that. Because sometimes <laughs> I listen to other people give feedback and they're brutal. And I'm like, whoa, there's probably a nicer way to say that. But it is it's 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 an art for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So you mentioned AI earlier part in the show. Tell me from your perspective, how do you what do you see the implications of AI in the healthcare industry? Yeah, well, you know, AI is the big buzzword right now. Everybody's talking about it, but it's it's not new. AI and machine learning are two things we've been talking about in healthcare for a while now. I see more people kind of jumping on the bus right now, but some of the earlier stage things are things like clinical decision support. Um, and that's really, you know, trying to understand the best way, the best way to use patient data that we have. So um, if you take my data, you know, I'm X age, I won't say it out loud. Um, and I, you know, my socioeconomic background is X and I present with this disease and these other things like it. What if other people like me had happened to them in their future so that we can prepare for those things or make better, better decisions around it? I also think, you know, when you think about clinical decision support, I mentioned, you know, radiology when you first came on, um, when we first came on, that's a huge space. I mean, it's anytime you've got any kind of scans, you can take those and you still need the doc. It's not going to replace the doc, at least not right now, maybe in the distant future, but you've still, you still need somebody looking at it and verifying what the AI, AI saw and the recommendations it's coming back with, but it's going to make it a lot faster for you to pull out the things in those scans that you need to actually look at. I also think, you know, right now, the, a big topic in healthcare is provider burnout. You know, we saw it during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You've got, you know, nurses quitting the profession. They were quitting before the pandemic started. I had a hackathon right before it started, and this was a huge thing that came up. Um, so this is not new, but it has been, it's been really, it's been just so much more since the pandemic started. So um, decreasing that administrative burden on our providers, on our nurses, on our physicians, um, and just by using things like natural language processing, but it's gotta be to the point where I can actually translate medical terms the right way. 
Um, I think it can also help and enable surgical procedures. It can help with precision medicine. There are so many areas that I think you're going to see AI and machine learning doing a lot more here in the future. Um, everybody's trying to do it. The biggest challenge we have in healthcare right now with it is that our data is messy. Um, nobody captured, has captured things in the same way. Um, there, you know, I remember talking to a doc a few years back and he said, oh, I've got thousands of records from pediatric cancer patients. Let's do something with machine learning. And um, what, when we really looked into it, looked at, looked at the data, there were only about 100 records that actually made sense to use. And you can't do anything with 100 records. You really need that data. So I think if we can get hospitals to break out of their silos and start sharing data and creating larger data lakes and data pools, we're going to get a lot further. But um, there's some resistance to that still. So hopefully we get there. Wherever there's a lot of data, it feels like machine learning and AI could be a real advantage to productivity gain and knowledge transfer. So in the healthcare space, there's tons of it. So that's, yeah. I'm, but it's, you're right. It's got to be digestible by the platforms in a consistent yeah, absolutely. way. Great. So let's look to tomorrow. What's the future hold for you, for health tech? What, do you, what are you going to be doing? And when you come back on the show, Susie, in a, in a period of time, what's going to be different? Share your vision with us, please. Well, you know, right now I work with kind of these three different groups, right? My long-term vision, because just like everything else in healthcare, innovation in healthcare is siloed. You know, healthcare organizations have their innovation programs, um, new, to, you know, new startups need places to do pilots, but they don't work together, so to speak, right? So if there's a way that we could get the investors and, and some of this could be done through venture studios, but there's other ways to do it too. But when we recognize a big challenge in healthcare, let's get the investors, the hospital, and the entrepreneurs on board early so that we can all kind of agree on what the vision of the correct fix looks like, go down the pathway we'd always do to create that startup, but hopefully speed up time to market so that you've already got people bought in from the very early stages. Right now, you know, um, a startup gets to a point where they're like, hey, I have a new product I'm going to put out there. Um, and they're ready for that first that first sale but or that first pilot, but now they've got to go find somebody to do the pilot with. And sometimes that can take months and months and months and months, where if you had them engaged at a much earlier time, you could go straight from being ready to pilot to doing your pilot. And the same thing with funding, too. I think the venture studio model is a really good one, and I think there's something that could be done with that. Um, but there's other ways that we can do it, too. And my, my goal is to really figure out how we bring all those elements together so they're not so siloed and it just doesn't take so long. How exciting. Yeah. That's the great thing about being an entrepreneur, isn't it? You can yeah. you can vision what you want and then take action towards the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> okay, so people are gonna wanna learn more about you and your firm. Susie, where should they go to do that? Sure, um, I can be found on LinkedIn at Susie Ingwald. So you just type in my name, you can find me right there. Um, my website's healthtechstrategies.com. So you can also find me there. And um, I also do a lot of mentoring for MedTech Innovator and Founder Institute Health Tech. So you can always find me, find me there as well. Thank you for being a guest on our show today. I told you all at the top of the show it was going to be a good show and it was fast paced and chock full of great content. So thank you for being a guest today. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. And thank the audience. You've been a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. Susie's episode is a part of our catalog now with over 1,400 interviews with largely Orange County entrepreneurs. If you're interested in sharing your story because you're an Orange County entrepreneur, look me up on LinkedIn. I'm Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, F-R-A-N-Z-I. Coincidentally, that's also our website, rickfranzi.com. 
reach out and between Haley and I, we can schedule you to be a future guest in the program like Susie did today. Uh, until the next time we have a chance to be together, I truly hope that all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. Thank <music> you.